This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. This is a study in literacy. I'm Luke. I'm Jill. And we have someone in with us for the first time ever, episode four. That's exciting. Ooh. Jeremy Roberts, a New Zealand poet. And yeah, both me and Luke know pretty much zilch about poetry, so this should be fun. Yeah, I never quite got poetry. I was always a, a fiction writer. Um, I tried to, because they, they go into um, poetry studies at school, mm. um, but I was I was always the one kid who would go, I don't get it, <laughs> and I would have to have it sort of explained to me. But it was interesting uh, going into your SoundCloud and listening to your style of poetry, because I'd heard of, it, of the term slam poetry before, mm-hmm. and your style reminds me of that. Would that oh, be accurate? That's interesting. Um, perhaps some. I, I would say more in the tradition of beat beat poetry, I mm-hmm. think, myself. Um, sort of urban beat poetry. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, could, I could see um, standing up at a slam and doing some of those pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, did you li- enjoy the music? Um, yeah, I... The, the big range of music on the recordings. I am into heavy metal. Ah. <laughs> so all of your pieces with electric guitar and bass and drums definitely hit a, a good spot for me. Oh, cool. <laughs> so let's go into a little bit of details, a few details about Jeremy. He is a resident of Napier, New Zealand, where he MCs at Napier Live Poets and interviews poets on Radio Kidnappers. He does. His work has been published widely, including New Zealand Listener, Landfall, Takahe. Is it J-A-A-M or just Jam? Uh, jam. Yeah. Jam, Poetry NZ, and Phantom Bill Stickers. He's also on SoundCloud, Facebook. Uh, look up Jeremy Roberts and you'll probably find him. <laughs> yeah. uh, are there any and other other plugs that you want to throw in? I have some videos on YouTube. Mm. Um, and so I'm kind of getting those out. Right. Uh, working on one at the moment. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So his first poetry collection was Idiot Dawn, which is just the best name. I love it. I totally agree with um, that. <laughs> poems from 1981 to 1987. Yep. Um, Cards on the Table was published by IP Australia in 2015. And you were awarded the Earl of Seacliff Poetry Prize in 2019. Hey. I was. I was very, very proud to get that, actually. That's awesome. It was a yeah. great road trip down to... Um, Carpety Coast. Right. I'm not familiar or, um, with um with the Earl of Seacliff. What are the what's the history behind that? Uh well uh Michael O'Leary um runs it. Um it's a it's a publishing house, really. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that Seacliff or is it the full name Earl of Seacliff is the publisher? Earl of Seacliff Workshop, I think, is the correct title. Okay. I, ho- I hope I'm getting that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. So let's move into the questions that uh, we're a little bit more prepared for today. And Jill, you can jump in at any yeah. time. <laughs> I'm going to wing it based on what I hear and then I then want to know more about. All right. Awesome. So what would you say is your reason for specialising writing poetry as opposed to a different writing medium? Like mm. I say, I was always a fiction writer. Uh, yeah. Poetry didn't get it for me. But poetry obviously was something that appealed to you. Yeah. Well, it goes back a long, long 
time, really. Um, like the first time I was aware of words being organised was when I was a kid, you okay. know, as, as you do, uh, through songs with uh, rhyming couplets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I heard a few poems out loud. I heard some recordings, but they were all a bit um, stuffy and highbrow back in those <laughs> days, not, not very appealing to a kid. Right. A little later at uni, I I liked how poems looked on the page. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also heard some way cooler recordings. Um, And then I saw some live poetry. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I became intrigued by poets, uh, writers, you know, who seemed to have an almost mystical aura about them. People like William Blake. I've heard that name. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Sylvia Plath. Sam Hunt, mm-hmm. Janet Frame, Gary McCormick. He was sort of dark and mysterious in those days. Charles Bukowski. Um, there was also good poetry in rock and roll, thinking of people like Chuck Berry, right. Bob mm-hmm. Dylan, yep. Jim Morrison, Patti Smith, Graham Brazier from Hello Sailor. He, he, oh. he was a, a great wordsmith. You know, there was something magical, and then I... Um, I found the idea of the muse. What am I going to write about? Where do these signals come from? Mm -hmm. That was appealing because um, to me, you know, and I'm sure many others, a good poem is like a magic carpet ride. Mm. (laughs) You know, you might be riding high in the sunshine with wonderful vistas or you might be gliding through dark and dangerous alleys. Yeah, Yeah. It just depends. So uh, once I felt that urge, uh, I just sort of, Continued. Um, it's also, you know, it's one of the shorter forms of writing. So you're able to sort of complete them relatively quickly mm-hmm. and you can move on to other, other poems. I think that appealed to me. Um, and I also love the idea about having to really focus and work out how you really thought or felt about something. Right. You know, um, you know, I mean, it, heavens, uh, when I look at my first attempts, it's, you know, it's very humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, we all, it's always a case of you will get better eventually. Yeah. yeah the first g- thing of anything is always, in relative terms, the worst. Yeah. Uh, to put yeah. it in that way. Yeah, well, it's like George Harrison said, um, he, it took him a few years of writing his bad songs before he was brave enough to show John and Paul. <laughs> right. But he got there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and, you know, some poems take years to complete and others, um, they might be a couple of hours mm-hmm. done, you know. Something that is interesting about poetry is that how you say it's much shorter, you can get it done quicker, but it also means that because you have, by by definition of how poetry works, you have a shorter amount of time to get whatever message you might want to get across. Mm. So you can be a little more punchier. You can yeah. Be, uh, and you can really get to the point quite quickly, but also have it be much more impactful rather than a thousand-word novel. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, uh, condensed yep. and sort of crystallized. Mm. 
So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jill, mm. have you had much experience with poetry? What was your education in uh, like English class at school like when it came to learning poetry? I did not enjoy it, but it was purely because we kept getting given poems and you had to analyse them and oh, say what the person meant. Right. And I kept getting told that I was being too literal ah. and that I wasn't thinking outside the box. It's like, mm. that's what I think it means. That Isn't that good enough? So, so actually it was meaning that, wasn't it? It's it's well, like the, the French yeah. say, if you think that wine is the best wine in the world, it is. Yeah, yeah. that was but, my argument with my teacher as well. Uh, I was like, the poet's dead. How do you know you're right and I'm wrong? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> no, that's, that's art. Yeah. yeah. It's subjective. Yeah. It, it, yeah. No, you, you mm. were bringing your own insights to it. Um, oh, that That's the thing that does put people off poetry at school having to analyze yeah what does that mean where i mean i like reading Sam it. crazy yeah it's not about what did this line mean what did that line mean it's the whole poem and yeah. it's got a real thing about it and i think as long as it's got a good flow like a good beat as you read it yep. yeah. it's all good um it's a bit harder to read in your head i think poetry is one of those things that's best read out loud i'd agree with that yeah, yeah no that's very um true well if you've come to that realization that's that's a good one. Maybe yeah. that's why I never got it because we were always reading it to ourselves. We never mm. did the stand up in front mm. of the class and read oh. it out. Oh, we we didn't do that. I just had a teddy bear that I like to educate at home, so I'd <laughs> read it stuff. Oh. Well, that you know, look, it's interesting in New Zealand. We don't make people stand up and read out loud in the British curriculum. It's still part of the um, for senior primary school. They still have to memorise and recite, mm. and I think it stays. It it. it it does, it pushes you into another um, way of understanding, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I think... Getting the words off the page. Yeah, if you're reading out loud, you pay more attention to where commas and full stops are. In yeah. your head, you just kind of put them in where you feel like it. You don't necessarily pause the reading because you don't need yeah. that breath. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I've learned that with my narrations. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> there are some very long sentences in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, Lovecraft wasn't a big fan of short sentences <laughs> as it turns out <laughs> he did it he did a few poems he's done mm-hmm. a few um have you ever uh taken an edgar Allan poe has he had much of an influence on you uh well you know the raven um mm. one um it's been a long time since i've looked at his work but it keeps coming up um lou reed made an album Right. Based around that. Ooh. But what's the famous mm. line the Raven says? Um, I can't remember. I just remember a wonderful recording of Christopher Lee. So Christopher Lee narrated. Oh, it. did he? Oh, yeah. his voice is magical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that very deep, nevermore. It's beautiful. That's, that's something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's the word. Quote the Raven. There we go. Nevermore. Yes, yes. That's no, what well was. done. So would you yeah. say that there's a theme to your work oh. is there a particular message that you try to evoke in in all of them or does each one differ yeah i i think each one does differ uh luke you know i'm i'm not one to think um hmm i'm going to write a collection of poems about the dying thoughts of stranded whales on beaches in Aotearoa. <laughs> that sounds like a good or poem, a series <laughs> of poems about the effects of COVID 19 upon catholic gatherings in wellington <laughs> mm. <laughs> But poets do this, right. you know, uh, collections get published and they do have that precise, um, oh, this is, this is what all these poems are about. It's like when you walk into an art gallery and, a, and an established artist, you walk in the door, you, you glance around, you go, oh, okay, they're all about this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my mind is, is sort of 
open creatively, I tend to be more more scattershot right. than that. You know, um, and I, I find just some things come along in life; they're just too interesting to ignore, yeah. and you, you have to seize the moment. So, so no, mine it's kind of um, an organic, evolving thing for me. But if somebody said, "Give me all your love poems," Give me all your all your geopolitical poems. Mm-hmm. I could I could pull a collect them, you know, together like that. Right. But I don't write from that. You um, don't go out with so, as some would say, an agenda. Not really, but but you know, once once something's grabbed you, I suppose that in a way is it is like a being, you know, a brief, like giving yourself mm. a a brief or an assignment yeah. really to complete something okay but uh i you know i i'm not going to write 20 20 30 poems about one thing <laughs> no I, I usually one is enough actually one or yep. two and then i'm moving on to a new topic mm. do it's, your poems vary in length or do you try and keep the same sort of length for each one uh they do vary i suppose now they might the average one might be about half a page to a page maybe but Probably average half a page, really. But I, I used to write some very short ones, but I have written some little, much longer pieces. Mm. You know, uh, one of the ones I heard on your SoundCloud was about a minute long, and there have been others that are about two and a half minutes, three minutes long. Yeah, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So, work-life balance is a is a pretty big statement for for everyone. Always try to get it right. How do you do it? Uh, writing versus your life is writing your full time occupation, or do you just sort of well, uh, get on with your life and do writing on the side? Yeah, look, I I thought about this this question. I mean, a, as several people have said, it it probably tends to work like this: when you're writing poems, you're a poet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you are not writing and just living, you're soaking it all in. Right, you know. Um, you know, waiting for inspiration or waiting for the next time you decide to resume work on something. Or, mm. um, but I don't think anyone writes poetry forty hours a week. Right. You know, there might be there might be times when you, uh, over several days, you put consistently a lot of thought and time into it. Um, you know, but even if you're not actually writing, um, you might be carrying it. A seed or a thought right. around with you. Your or, muse. Yeah, well, you're tapping into that muse. The subconscious might be quietly, um, you know, bubbling away in the background. Yeah, so that that's an interesting one, really. I mean, Sam Hunt says, you know, leave me alone, I'm working. He, the, the worst thing in the world would be to knock on the door of somebody like that and disturb them. Hone Tafari was the same, I think. He hated visitors coming... Um, unannounced mm-hmm. because you might be battling and you know trying to wrestle something you could be right on the cusp of getting yes. here and then you hear hello ding dong <laughs> oh no can you get back to that headspace um, because you know it does it does require deep focused attention you know it can, um, yeah. I mean but but it's not just in poetry is it, is it? it's any in anything in life if you want to do a good job on something you know, you've got to really, you know, you might... Especially when you're creating. Yeah, yeah. Focused, uninterrupted attention, mm-hmm. you know. And I find if, you, um, if you're able to do that, yeah, you, you get where you want to be sooner. You know. Yeah. I've found whenever yeah. I 
there's a whole lot of projects that I'm involved in that I'll sort of set myself. And I find it so hard to put myself in that space. But once I'm in that space, three hours disappear. Mm, mm, (laughs) David Hockney, the British painter, says that inspiration doesn't visit the lazy. I thought that was a good... (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good quote, quote, isn't it? Why on earth does it keep coming knocking on my door then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you can fluke it. When you're when you're young, you can you can just kind of I think the the muse does visit more perhaps I don't know maybe it's a fresh thing but mm. but I don't think you can expect that to happen all the as all, a, as all a kid life. every everything that you look at is all vibrant and full of energy and life yes and you want to try everything yeah that's Whereas right kind of as you get older you find the things you want to do more that you want to put your yeah. time and effort into. Maybe that's why it doesn't visit as freely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's also just uh, things that we have to do in life once we reach uh, adulthood. <laughs> we can't just yep. uh, sit at home doing doing creation anymore. We have to go out, work, get a job, uh, mm. and tend mm. to all sorts of other responsibilities. Mm. But being able to get into that space, I think, yeah. is a pretty valuable thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when it comes to drawing your ideas... Uh, we've, we've talked about this already. Is there any one thing that you that is like your muse? Do you have like a totem or something that you're just like, yeah, I'm going to write about that today? Uh, no, well, it, it could be anything, um, Luke. You know, it's it's really like all of us. We're alive with our five senses. You know, I'm, I, don't, I hate to sound pretentious. <laughs> it's, it, really, it's just it's just about about living. And certain things touch you, and your mm. mind gets into gear. You know. Um, some people might go to the gym and, you know, have a really hard workout and process something. Um, a writer might put it and pour it out on a page, yeah. you know. Um, you know, but there's a lot uh, going in the subconscious, you know, coming back to that idea. Things things are there and suddenly, oh, you know, a little seed um, turns into a flower, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just just basic basic self expression with the antenna up, and um, that the ideas are floating around really. Yeah, and then or sometimes they're living inside you. You know, when something's getting getting <laughs> getting its tentacles. When you get an you. idea, does yeah. it stick with you, or do you need to write it down so you remember oh, that that's well, what you've had an idea about? Well, you do. It does pay to. Make a note. Like a, a cell phones are great with the notepad. A lot Definitely. of poets write on, compose on cell phones now. Um, some people have left paper, haven't they? Um, but uh, I usually have paper paper notes, and then I, I at some stage, I still sometimes fully draft it by hand. But I usually it's halfway through, and then I'll print out a copy, and then I've got the paper. And then I can scribble, and you know it's a cr- part of the creative process. My my work will be full of doodles and <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. You know, it's my my little yep. little little visual artworks because I know I used to do visual art once upon a time, but I I sort of abandoned that ten odd years ago, I suppose, because I I got sick of having to go from one to the other, mm-hmm. and then the words were creeping into the visual art, and I thought, oh look, I'll just I'll buy visual art, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, no, the the ideas are all, all over the place. Right. You know. 
Yeah, that's that's very often how I do it as well. I've got one thing that I'm trying to write things for, and I just sort of leave it, and then suddenly I see something, or I hear something, or I smell something. I'm like, oh, oh, where's my phone? Mm, <laughs> I mm. need to get it down. <laughs> yeah, because you do forget things. You do. You do. My grandmother was a uh, physics and mathematics teacher, and there would be equations that she couldn't solve, but she needed to solve them for her class the next day and she would tell me that she'd wake up in the middle of the night mm. and she would have a notepad next to her because in her sleep she figured it out and she wow. would quickly have to write it down well, isn't that a terrific otherwise she'd never remember it in the morning <laughs> i totally get that yeah no I, I sometimes get out of bed in that zone where you're nearly quite asleep you're, you're almost asleep sorry and then something oh yeah I'll remember that in the morning. <laughs> you, might, you might or you might not. Whoever does. Well, often we, you wake up and you're like, there was that thing that I thought I'd remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like people describe, sort of like when you're trying to remember a dream, it's like trying to hold water in your cupped hands. It's just trickling through. The more you think about it, the more it disappears. Yeah. So yeah. Write things down, everyone. Yeah. Write everything down. Or draw pictures if you're or more of a drawing picture yeah, person. that's right. So yeah. is there is there a, a writer, a poet, or <clears throat> someone else uh, that you want to emulate? Yeah, look, emulate, that's a great word. Um, I suppose, you know, those those people who inspire and, and, and thrill us and appear to have written something, you know, that's rather wonderful and flawless, mm. um, they're the ones that you might measure yourself against. Right. Um, Charles Bukowski, who I mentioned before, he, he's from Los Angeles. He's the unofficial poet laureate of that city. Mm. He's a great example, really, of somebody who, um, enormously popular in America and Europe, and even among New Zealand writers at, at, of a certain time. He died in the 90s, age about 70, but he was at his most notorious and famous, probably in the 70s, um, so, you know, he, he was a genius to many, um, an accessible humanitarian genius who wrote about real everyday things using his extraordinary poet's eye. Mm-hmm. And many tried to copy him. Right. Because it seemed that um, maybe, oh, maybe my life's not too different. I like a drink. <laughs> you know, I'm involved in the battle of the sexes, as they used to say back then, mm-hmm. and betting at the track, like all the, this sort of lifestyle. How hard can it be? I'm driving in my car, I'm going to the racetrack, I'm meeting a friend, something goes wrong, I come back, I, I, you know, I have a drink and something funny happens. But, of course, um, it's Charles Bukowski who, who, who's doing that. And when you, when you read his work, you, you, um, you know, he becomes like a friend and, and you think, gee, I'd, I, I, I I want to. I want to do. I want to do this thing. I, I want to write like Charles Bukowski. But, but really, um, you're not Charles Bukowski. Yeah. You know. So you're really thinking about quality. Um, myself, I, I I get inspiration and um, try to steer away from um, the, that copying thing, mm-hmm. um, which does go on in, in, in the creative arts. It, 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 it does. And um, people have seen what's been acknowledged and successful. They think, I'll do my version of that. <laughs> then I'll get successful <laughs> yeah. and fam- famous and whatever. Um, Alan Duff, who I think lives in Hawke's Bay, the famous author of Once Were Warriors, right, he, yes. he recently complained about the presence of so many creative midgets. Was the, the phrase... <laughs> 
the phrase he used as he described them and about copying um, each other, people copying each other on the New Zealand literary landscape. Mm. Um, and he, he was reviewing a book that I, that I read and uh, he thought this writer was particularly original and because he was so original, he mightn't find a place on that landscape because he wasn't another imitation of a kind of a thing that was going. So, you know, you have to be careful if you're going to emulate, but I, I think think about the quality. Try and find your own voice, you know. Be yourself, you know, really. If you, if you are yourself, it will come out... Um, with, with a high level of originality. It's just, just you know, And if you're normal. yourself when that trend that everyone's following ends, you'll still stick around, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. No, it happens in the music industry a lot. Mm. Um, you know, that was successful. So if we do that, we can jump yeah, on the... Yeah, but then eventually that ends, something else becomes yeah. successful. And, and the original people are the ones who are remembered, yeah. right? That's yeah. what you're saying. Black yeah. Sabbath yeah. started heavy metal, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they are still everyone knows who they are. Yeah, because they they're were still the, the go-to for those young people getting into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and other bands like Iron Maiden and things mm. like that. One mm. of the because you speak about imitation, um, and I guess sort of standing on your own two feet. Mm. My dad, one of his yeah. favorite, um, I once asked him what one of his favorite quotes was, and he said, "I think he said it was an Oscar Wilde one. Ah. Everyone loves Oscar Wilde." Mm-hmm. And it's a quote uh, of some sort as, there is only one you, so don't try to be anyone else. Mm, and mm. that is about imitation. Where If, you, mm. if you're just constantly trying to imitate everyone, you're never going to have anything that's truly yours. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Gosh. Yeah. So your... <laughs> Uh, you taught, uh, You mentioned oh, I might be a little bit pretentious earlier, but I want to know what do you feel is your greatest piece? What your well, your own work? What's yeah. your favourite one? Well, greatest is a word that I would avoid, Luke. <laughs> the, the word, I like the word best, maybe, but even that, it's only my opinion. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I, you know, if I had to put together a list of top five, I suppose I could. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes the poem you've just finished feels like your best. Um, uh, well, I've recently had quite a bit of work published in the last Post magazine on Australia. Um, there was one long um, poetic narrative piece about visiting Vietnam, and they chopped it into four issues. Okay. That that was yeah I was pretty pleased with that. Um, Takahe magazine uh, from Christchurch, they published another um, longish piece. I think it was about four or five or six pages long, and that was to do with the origins of of me um, getting interested in poetry and and oh. and uh, that era when I was very young and um, it was all all new and exciting and the crazy stuff. A friend of of mine and I got up to um, Phantom Bill Stickers published a poem called "The Punk Mo," mm-hmm. and that so that went up on on you know walls around the place, and that was um, a kind of a model protest poem written a decade ago, kind of having a dig at the carbon footprint idea that suddenly the politicians were going to change our lives while they were flying around in jets. 
Um, and that poem, um, yeah, it, we I played it with my in Jakarta with my English mate um, Derek on guitar when we we were. I had a poetry combo in Jakarta, Indonesia. We were called the Bajai Boys. Bud- oh, that's how you say it. <laughs> yes, it looks like Bajaj. And in fact, in India, they say Bajaj. But right. in Indonesia, they call it um, Bajai. Mm-hmm. And they also call it Tuk Tuk. Um, it's, so people probably in New Zealand probably know the name Tuk Tuk better. But, um, so we, yeah, we performed that a few times. And, um, and then uh, the dean of, uh, who was acting dean at the time, Napier uh, Waipu Cathedral, he actually read that out on National Poetry Day in the cathedral, so that was that was really cool, and it had a it had a sort of a slight swear word in it too, so that was even more <laughs> cool. That the dean he, he said, "Yeah, I want to do it." <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, actually, I do I do know his name. It's written down. I, I could find it later, but um, so and then another one. I mean, look, look, you know. Uh, Cards on the Table, which is the title poem of a collection of mine. Now, that, that was published in the New Zealand Listener, and that poem's been um, sort of, I had to I hate to say it, but taught to children, and I don't know if the teacher said, what does this mean? But they probably <laughs> had a discussion about it, but it was meant to um, inspire them to write stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's some examples. Yeah, it's good to get your work out there, and, and in fact, None of that would have happened if I hadn't joined open mics years ago and um, and regularly went to meetings. It sort of energizes your work and some suddenly the the poems are leaping off the page and and people are hearing them and it seems to all kind of you know work together really right so I don't know if that I don't know if I answered <laughs> your question but but yeah I mean I think I could, either way the journey is a fantastic. It was a fantastic ride. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of reading poetry, would you like to do one for yeah. us? We're reaching round about I, half I mark. could. I could. Look, I think it's lovely of you to ask me. Um, I've got one here that I wrote during lockdown. Um, and I've never read it. I read it once quickly to myself. Well, actually, when I was writing it, I was reading, I was reading it aloud by the computer because you need to get the sound of words and check the lines, get, right. check the meter, you know, a little bit. But this is the first time. It's, so it's called, um, if it's happening to me, it must be normal. There were jokes about life being sick. Bangladesh, cherry coke, sees the day was our middle name. But now, the invisible croak dream thing had to be dealt with. We hid inside our home. We drank cups of Mormon crack and tried to ignore the convenient philosophy of cars and buildings. Day after day, we swam in the digital river and big-toed the grass in our yard. We masticated hot, spicy bangers and made airy-fairy plans for a world on hold. Bored by the terms and conditions, we wished we was drones, scoping, checking, swooping down across the empty crete. At night, the stylus tracked across black vinyl. Old songs took us back. We drifted on memories, waiting for the yay-boo. The news was unstoppable. The news was sick. 
We did the time imagining ourselves let out one day into a world of new lessons. And step by step, we followed dancing. Wow. I like it. We were talking about impactful before. (laughs) Considering, I I like that one because it is extremely relatable. Uh, Probably because of how recently we came out of lockdown. Right. But I I can associate with a lot of that. Um, the Jujuru River, yeah, I swam that the entire time that I was on lockdown. There wasn't much yeah, else to do. <laughs> yeah, well, no, thanks, Luke. I mean, yeah, there's there's some urban slang in there that, yeah. that people mm. might 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 have been surprised at. I mean, Mormon crack is I've just, never heard that one just coffee. coffee. I wonder oh, if it was like coffee it, it or water also, or something. You can also call it white man's crack. That's right, because <laughs> it was a Mormon who invented coffee? Or you had something um, to do with the popularization of it? It could. It, they, these words usually have more than one um, derivation, yeah. you know, it, 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 or you know, if that's the right phrase. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just fun. The last line in "Step by Step We Follow Dancing" actually comes from a poem by Robert Browning called "The Pied Piper." Ah. So um, I I used that line. It was part of a uh, a writing prompt that. The, the Hawke's Bay live poets um, had for one of their open mics. Um, yeah, no, it was an interesting time. I mean, the world is still struggling as we speak, isn't it? Yeah. We, some of us don't know how lucky we are, mm-hmm. I think, in New Zealand. We kind of forget, I think, a bit because our lives are pretty much back to normal yeah. or as close as they can get. We kind yeah. of forget that other countries aren't as yeah, lucky as right. we are. So how long did that one take you was that a beginning to end during lockdown or did you sort of get it out I fairly think, quickly i think i wrote that over two or three days i think i had okay. the original idea you know and then i sort of played around with it <clears throat> and then i did, did the final edit something like that mm-hmm. you know does so, it take i'm sorry does it ahead. take a lot of editing when you write poetry like do you kind of do it and then like substitute words and all of that stuff was it pretty much whack it out and there you go oh it can look it it it, it can do it, it can be sometimes one or two lines just aren't there or um the it's just not doing enough you know it's just not the i you know i'm trying to write about this thing but it's just not coming you know and it might be a, it might be a case of um looking in a dictionary or googling something to think to research something or it might just be it just hasn't the muse hasn't quite delivered Mm. you know and uh, that's the thing about lying in bed going to sleep at night there might have been a line you know and uh, and it might have come to me one of one of these lines in this poem and i might have ah you know so if if i'm nearly at the end of it i most likely will get up out of bed in the freezing cold and write it down but i don't keep a notepad by my bed so right. i've got to walk into the lounge so my, my dad has a dictaphone by his bed just in case because oh, no. you've got to turn on a light to write something yeah yeah i oh, know that's I, I do have a dictaphone i should i've never done that i <laughs> I, I, I use it to make recordings you know with, mm. with musicians or whatever but but i've never used it um at night <laughs> no, I always just think, oh, so nice and warm in my bed. If I say it three times, I remember it in the morning. Oh. I don't, but it. <laughs> it makes you feel good for just it a few minutes. It does, and then I can go to sleep without worrying about the fact that I've got to get up and write it down. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
So this question came from someone online. I was crowdsourcing some questions. Ooh. What questions do you always wish you were asked, but no one ever asks you them? <laughs> is this to do with writing, or is this to do with just... Just in general. Oh, just in general. great. It yeah. doesn't have to be oh. writing. Um, no, I, I'd love someone to say, who are your favourite film directors? <laughs> well, tell us. Yeah. Okay. We're all about creativity well, here. We I'm are. showing my age, but uh, Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. you know, um, Godfather, Apocalypse oh, Now, stuff like yes. that. Sam Peckinpah. I'm not familiar. Wild, Wild Bunch. Oh, no. Steve McQueen, The Getaway. Oliver Stone is still going. Um, Platoon. Mm. Wall Street. You know, uh, quite a few movies, really. Clint Eastwood. Yep. And My dad would definitely agree with that, probably. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, those names are all men, I'm afraid. But there are, I mean, yeah, there are some, some great um, women directors out there. Um, yes. That I like uh, Kat, uh, Catherine Bigelow, is it? Who directed um, Zero Dark Thirty about the, the hunt for Osama oh, bin Laden. Yes. That was cool. Yeah. I love the showrunner for the, the Witcher Netflix series. Her oh. name is Lauren something, and she, she just did an amazing job uh, casting it and getting it all oh, right. put together. Right. But yeah. that, that's awesome. Yeah, mm. I, I, I liked this question mm-hmm. because it was. it's. A very good out of left field one. Mm. And there's always that question or few questions that you sit and go, oh, no one ever asked me this, yeah. but I've got an answer yep. to it. And then after after an interview, you're thinking, damn it, yeah. <laughs> another person didn't ask me. Do you have any others that you wished you were asked? Um, mm. Well, I mean, you know, favourite cricket players. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I can name mine. <laughs> Glenn Turner, Martin Crowe, Richard Hadley, Jock Edwards. I mean, there's actually tons of them, but these... I used to love the the great Australian mm. um, characters, you know, Dennis Lilly, um, Jeff Thompson, you know, all those all those buddy, yeah. buddy characters. Gosh, mm. no no shortage of them really. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, so mine would be Nathan Astle. Oh, Nathan Astle. He used to yeah, write him good, letters he? and he'd respond. He? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. He That's did. Cool. He are asked for you? all oh. my really pathetic fangirl questions as well, which made him so much better. Oh, are you a bit of a cricket freak? You still I don't follow know if I'd it? say freak, but yeah, yeah. I, I love cricket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially love tests. I hope they don't ever stop those. Mm. I could never. I played rugby because my parents wanted me to do a sport. I, I chose croquet. <laughs> I I started oh. to really enjoy tennis. Oh yeah, tennis is the yeah. only sport that I can actually watch for some reason, and oh, I don't okay. know why. I, I don't know. I think it's just... Individual thing? I think it's because it's a very solitary game. Mm. It what hasn't about badminton? It's very similar, isn't it? Badminton's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's not get too sidetracked. We <laughs> did okay. get really sidetracked last week when we were chatting. Oh, we I can't really talk about. about sport. There's actually some wonderful sports poems out there. <laughs> oh, is there? Uh, yeah, there are. I, I reviewed a book um, a year or so back, a collection that Mark Perry had put together. Um, and I think it was a Headworks publication, not Earl of Seacliffe Workshop. I think it was, yeah, Headworks, I think, which Mark Perry runs. Um, and it was football poems. Mm-hmm. Like um, football as in fo- football or football as in rugby? No, football <laughs> as in soccer. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That was really cool. Like, there was a brilliant poem about George Best and, and um, 
there was a you know like uh, was it the one about the time the all whites played Iran and there's some famous game or something happened. Yes, mm. but it's very very cool mm. collection. Yeah, I've got it at home still. I, I love it. Um, it's yeah. nice to see that sports can <clears throat> transcend the pitch. Well, I guess into <laughs> well, songs and stuff, doesn't it? There, there's many many poets probably wouldn't wouldn't ever write a, a poetry a poem about sport, mm-hmm. but actually it's a wonderful material. Mm. And uh, one of the greatest poets in New Zealand, Brian Turner, he's Glenn Turner's brother. <laughs> uh-huh. He um he's he, you know he's written about sport. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is my favourite question of my own. Right. Um, if I want to be a little bit arrogant, because I'm a big <laughs> fan of um, the Egyptian mythology, and I right. noticed in yeah. a couple of your uh, poems, Tuatara bites man and laughs, which is awesome. You, oh, I you like should that definitely title. listen to it. Am I going to laugh at it's, it? It's great. And uh, she never knew. So Ra is mentioned in Tuatara Bites Man and Laughs, and Mart is mentioned in She Never Knew. Do you have any particular connection to the Egyptian mythology, or am I just talking out of my butt? No, it is fascinating. I still haven't been been to the pyramids, which <laughs> I, I must do. But, but Ra, yes, it's Egyptian, but it's you know also a Maori sun god, yep, and, and, sun and exists within uh, most of Polynesia, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of referencing such icons as Mart, who is the the Egyptian god of truth, using truth that knowledge. yeah, you, using that imagery, and for, for for listeners, that poem is is it's about a character um, in love with somebody they don't realise it, and it's about pursuing that sort of empty dream. Mm-hmm. And so there's a line in the poem um, about, you know, going, making that person come with me to the Egyptian, to, to visit Mart, the Egyptian god of truth, to find out, you know, because surely they do, they do love me, don't they? They must love me back. <laughs> you know, it's one of those tragic situations. But, um, you know, the, that idea is, is, uh, was about creating a connection to um, ancient humanity. Right. Uh, that is, you know, to do like... To do with the idea that a rom- these romantic notions we get are as old and powerful and mysterious as those former times. Um, you know, you the, the desperation one feels when a deep crush or lust is taken over. <laughs> I mean, this 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 isn't this isn't relevant to my life now, but but uh, I'm not too embarrassed to, to admit that once upon a time it was. We've all <laughs> gone through this stuff. So that that imagery. Um, and the Baboli Gardens in Florence, I'd, I'd been there, you see, as well. And I, so I, I naturally um, wrote about it. Um, just that whole that, that romantic thing, it's, it's, it's old and it's, uh, you know, it's ancient. And it's, it's mysterious. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't sort of use a lot of imagery like that generally in my poems but mm-hmm. I think you could easily overdo it but I think I think once once in a while it's if you if you can create a context yeah did, I took did, did you think it it worked in the context of the when you heard it? I think it did yeah, yeah like you say with the mention of Mart um and the story um well I say story <laughs> um I, I'm sort of mm. assigning my own fiction biases towards uh towards poetry but yeah I think they worked pretty well I and because I have the bias of I just really like 
the Egyptian mythology. Mm, mm. <laughs> so there's that sort of very, very flat yeah. uh, interest in it as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was, because I, I took an immediate notice because I thought one mention of an Egyptian god, you know, it's sort of throwaway, but twice yeah. I thought, well, yeah. if there's something more going on Some, here. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah I, I really liked that one. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the both of them, especially, like I say, Jill, Tuatara bites man and laughs. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's, a, it's got some comedy out. in there. It's in there. Nice. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Some cards on the table. So, do you have a target audience, uh, and how does it differ <clears throat> from the audiences that you usually get? Uh, well, I mean that—that's a whole, um, you know, that's a very interesting question, really. I mean, it's not something I really think about. Target audience. The poem is the target, right? <laughs> You know, nailing my own opinion or feeling as the target, using the right words. And after that, once they're done, then the poem is free to find an audience. I see. Anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, it might land on a, you know, it might, it might, it might hit bullseye for somebody. Um, but hopefully there's a pair of eyes or uh, ears that, mm. that might relate to it. Um, but, you, you know, you never know what people are really thinking in their heads, even at, at live meetings. Um, sometimes people express um, themselves. I mean, I have had people come up to me and say, "Oh, look, I loved what you did in that poem." I mean, um, I mean, it, so there's an example of a of a poem. I was at an Oxfam uh, fundraiser in Auckland, and this was a crowd. We were it was raising helping money for a water system for a family in Africa, for a village in Africa, and it was like good vibes, save the planet, you know, humanitarian. And then I did this poem. I I showed up just to come along and watch, but my friend who was organising it, um, Gus Simonovich, he said, no, come on, come on, you've got to do something. And, And I didn't have anything with me. I only had a few things in my head. So I read this poem, which is called An Ode to Muhammad Atta. And if you don't know that name, he's one of the pilots who flew into the Twin Towers. Oh, I see. Um, and um, it's a very simple one. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it rather than ex- exert it. It's, it says, Buddy, if it had to happen, I'm glad you died in an exploding fireball of concrete, glass, metal and jet fuel. And there was utter silence when I read it. And I thought, well, you know, I, I look, I knew this wasn't the type of um, poem that, that, that these warm, fuzzy occasions have. In fact, it, there was even a woman there, an American woman, who apologised for being American. Because oh. this was the time of George W. Bush. Right. Um. People go on about Trump, but they forget that actually George Bush, uh, things were so bad that people were leaving America then. And uh, she was embarrassed to be an American. So it was quite funny. So I did this piece, dead silence. I thought, oh, well, whatever. You know, that's good. You know, <laughs> be a bit controversial. Yeah. And then in the next um, five or ten minutes, two women approached me separately. And they said, thank you very much for that poem. I loved it. I needed to hear it. And it was like, wow. That, yeah. I, you know, I've, I've always remembered it because um, – I would have walked away from there thinking, oh, yeah, so I did that sort of naughty poem and, <laughs> you know, and everyone hated it. And actually, um, they made the effort and, I, and they were women, you know, and I would have understood a bloke coming up saying, yeah, 
get those bloody America. You know, people. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there you go. Um, I, like I mean it. that mm. that's an example of um, I wouldn't have picked them as target audience, mm-hmm. but something in that poem yeah. resonated. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess um, in a more direct answer, the target audience is whoever it resonates with the most. <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> I love that. I, mm-hmm. like, I like these kinds of answers that aren't just straightforward. And they're it, not necessarily it, what you expect, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's much more fun to discuss things rather than just go back and forth. <laughs> oh. Or just get like a one-word answer. Oh, <laughs> Text back K. Oh. Oh. Especially when it's just yeah. the K. It's like, what happened to the O? Yeah. It's the o. worst. <laughs> oh, so, um, so in your performances, I heard on SoundCloud, oh. you have a lot of different music. You yeah. don't just use one. You've got piano, you've got guitar, you've got bass. What got you into incorporating music for your work? Okay. Well, you know, words and music go together, mm-hmm. don't they? We, they do. we know this and we, we understand this at very young um, the, the long, the, the, the short version is that I tried it and I, I liked it. I'd seen it done with poet, by poets and people. Um, it, you know, it feels very natural to me to do that. And I've played with, um, you know, quite a few music, musicians. And it's usually, I mean, if I meet somebody who's got a guitar in Jakarta, e.g. Derek, my mate, mm-hmm. we, we played, we played a number of gigs and, you know, we, did some recordings, some of which are on that that SoundCloud bunch mm-hmm. of boys, um, and then I I met um, some other Indonesian musicians, and one 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 could play keyboards. So that mm. there's a uh, what's that one about the the festival um, at the Mata Aira? You might you might have listened to that I one. I can't remember. I only went through the catalogue y- once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, um, you know, I played with a jazz musician who played saxophone. Um, and that was really cool. Um, you know, there's a guitarist, Nick Castles from Hawke's Bay. He's, he, he accompanied me once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a few things in the pipeline. Look, it's just fun. I mean, I, I think I've got a reasonably good ear to, to match things up or I know when things aren't. Right. I know when things aren't working. Yeah. So, so hence the recordings. And, um, you know, I, I, been making videos as well, and it's and uh, I think it's wonderful to have a poetry video with music, you know. Yeah, it's quite fun hearing the audio as well because it's not just it's not you standing in a studio recording it. Mm. Um, it's you've got live recordings. You've got there's one you're reading one of your poems in a taxi. Oh yeah, um, yeah. with a couple yeah. of mates, and one of them starts <clears throat> uh, performing a beat. I think they just were doing it uh, like tapping on the dashboard yeah, or something that's like right. that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, yeah. and it's just this sort of, it, it's <laughs> very natural, it's very organic, it just sort of flows. So ta- taxis are great sound booths, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there's a certain sound you can get in a taxi. Yep. Um, yeah. So let's, let's fire through here so that we don't mm. run out of time. Yep. What do you do for fun? Um, well, my favourite thing is to sample my wonderful wife's baking. Oh, <laughs> baking is the best. She's a genius. Oh, love that. Mm-hmm. Um, playing with my young daughter, you know, making poetry videos. Yep. Does you your know. daughter have the same kind of interest in poetry that you do? Um, well, I've got a very young daughter just coming up to school age, and I've got a daughter who's 25. She's a musician in Los Angeles. Okay. She, yeah, she's, um, she's just released a video wow. today. 
and she's got a new album coming out. Awesome. So, oh, that's uh, and she, yeah, there's there's poetry in her. Yeah, her, her stuff. She's a good writer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've got um, Neil Gaiman's wife is in Hawke's Bay right now. I think. Oh. Um, Neil Gaiman was in Hawke's Bay during lockdown. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people didn't even know. Right. I found out afterwards, and it's like I would have gone door knocking if oh. I'd known. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had a, a lot of people in Hawke's Bay um, that are actually kind of. Uh, like A to B list celebrities. Mm. That's because um, Hawks, Hawks, Hawks Bay is an Hawks amazing Bay. place. We were in a video game. Hawks Bay was featured in uh, Hitman 2, in an assassination game. Oh, was it? Yeah, uh, Hawks Bay, <laughs> uh, one of our beaches, was nice. uh, the site of one of the missions. That was quite cool. Oh, cool. And I thought, out of all the places in the world, New Zealand, and out of all the places in New Zealand, they chose Hawks Bay to feature. So yeah. that was kind of yeah. cool. It's a very uh, pretty place, isn't it? So something wonderful and lighthearted, what makes you happy? Uh, well, you know, being with my family, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. I mean, seeing my, my daughter learn new things and, as I say, watching my older daughter. My younger daughter's Ali and my older daughter's Eden, mm-hmm. Eden Iris. Uh, so, um, you know, just when she's got a new release or she flicks me a new demo to listen to, it's really cool, you know. Yeah. It's um, a wonderful uh, different kind of connection. Instead of just speech, you can hear her creativity come through. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, no, but it's always good. I mean, on on topic, it's it's good to good to get new poems published. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, what scares you? Ah, uh, well, you know what? I've got a I carry a quote around with me. Mm. Joe, Joey Ramone once sang, "I'm not afraid of life," and I'd like to think that is that is true. For me, actually. But, you know, I mean, there are things out there that we know, we hope don't happen to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we we know our our journey in life, really. But, yeah, I I mean, I don't really, um, you know, I think I'll I'll leave it at that. I like to be positive. And so so that uh, everyone gets a sort of idea of your experience in doing this, how long have you been creating poetry? Well, I started my first poems in 1980 mm-hmm. so it's 40 years isn't it but you know I, I don't think anyone really um, sits, thinks right I'm going to write poetry for the next 40 years yeah. <laughs> I don't think it happens like that it's just kind of line by line you know and you, you're looking for your next connection like uh, you know I'm trying to meet a musician to mm. actually if, if there's anyone out there who would love to accompany a poet maybe guitarist or maybe something else yep. get in touch because yeah. I'm uh, it's not since I played with Nick Castles a couple of years ago that I've been able to find somebody so um, yeah so that's just on to the next project yeah, yeah. alright so to, to finish out I, I wanted to I have this in my notes uh, so I'll obviously admit something uh, my favourite uh, work of yours is uh, Surf Nazi Oh, Surf Nazis. Yeah, uh, because I've got yeah. it in brackets here because of the guitar solo and electric guitar. Yeah. It's got a guitar solo in it, so therefore I enjoyed it. It's yeah. got to be good with a guitar yeah, that solo. Was a very, it is a very good piece of work, though. That's Irwin and Bambi. Mm-hmm. Um, Bambi's on um, electric guitar right. and bass. Uh, yes, on bass. And then Urban's um, uh, on drums. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recorded that in a studio in... in uh, in Jakarta, gotcha. so it's like a, that's nice. poetry with a full band, yep. and I think it yeah it worked. It's pretty cool. It worked worked well, 
that one I didn't write. I didn't write thinking I'd record it with a band one day, but uh, the way I managed to get the lines um, working and uh, yeah, that's that's cool. There's a video for that mm. on YouTube. Awesome lyric video but it's got some images of us I'll as well I'll have to go and look for it then yeah he's yeah. only listened to it on SoundCloud yeah, yeah wow no, thanks for that so uh, Jeremy Roberts New Zealand poet extraordinaire <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about, about the work that you do oh thanks so much Luke it's been a wonderfully eye opening experience it has cool. learning new things yeah. yeah thanks Jill thank you see you later This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.